RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here, as always, to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Mine was quiet, which is always good to stay out of trouble and uh, watch a little football and uh, other than going to a really bad football game uh, by the USF Bulls, uh, it was a fun weekend to be had. Excited this week to have somebody who sort of t- took a, a different turn in the pro wrestling business. Uh, I believe we both got involved as fans as around the same time. Don't really know him very well. We've interacted a few times, but uh, he is a senior columnist for the Pro Wrestling Torch. And where my career went into the pro wrestling business, his career went into the uh, the as a columnist and a writer for... Uh, Pro Wrestling Torch, I think he's been there almost 30 years. So uh, that's certainly a feat and uh, much respect. So without further ado, it should be interesting to listen to Senior Torch columnist Bruce Mitchell. Welcome to City Ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, this week on City Ringside, fresh off of a visit to WrestleCade in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and it, not me, I wasn't there this year. Senior columnist for Pro Wrestling Torch, please welcome Bruce Mitchell, whose story I am very looking forward to uh, hearing about. Uh, sort of we've lived on peripheral uh, edges of the wrestling business over the last 25 or so years, so uh, it should be fun catching up. I think uh, we've only met a couple of times. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think, it, you know, I, we've only met a couple of times, but I've certainly been in the audience while you did what you do. And uh, many, many times I remember one time um, in Winston-Salem for a WCW show, and I'm not exactly sure who was on top. I vaguely remember it had one of those Paul Dangerously, Missy Hyatt classics. And I realized you were, you know, you were the ring announcer. You were there at ring, ringside for the entire show. And I realized about halfway through the show that you had seen the same show, I think, like four times in a row and did the ring announcing for it and then had to watch pretty much the same you know, matches night after night after night. And I always thought you were good at your job, but I really had an appreciation for what it must be like to be on the road with a wrestling company and do that. Um, I, I just that was, you know, that ha- and keep a straight face and, and look interested at every match. And, you know, it was in the years before cell phones or, um, you know, you know, Wi-Fi or anything where you could keep yourself entertained some other way instead of seeing something you'd seen several times already. So, um, I thought I just thought, damn, but yeah, you, I've seen a lot. I've watched a lot of, a lot of you, David, over the years, obviously. Wow. Oh, now, now I got pressure on me. Uh, exactly. I, uh, (laughs) I, I always used to, I found it part of my job to, uh, to react to what was going on in the ring, you know, even though, 
either I didn't care, <laughs> right? Yeah, or 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 I knew what was going on that was going to happen. Uh, you know, I to the average fan who's sitting out there who pays money to go see it, they don't know that I'm the ring announcer. I'm supposed, to, you know. Plus, a lot of times I was doing the bell too at the house shows, so you know I had to pay attention. Like you know, pretending you know I knew it wasn't the finish, but you know I had to I had to pay attention. So uh, I appreciate yeah, only only board. somebody yeah, like you who's a. Yeah, yes. on, on, only somebody's like you who's uh, who's done all facets in this business, uh, uh, and who's been writing a column. How many years for Pro Wrestling Torch? Uh twenty-eight years. Twenty-eight That's years. Crazy. It, 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 yeah, it, it's amazing. I mean, I just, I mean, it's amazing in the fact of uh, I just take this as it comes along, and it, and it still, it's still. I had a great time this weekend at WrestleCade. I mean, it's really something I, I never would have imagined. Just I'll. You know, as a as a fan and still a fan, just watching stuff, ended up doing this for that long. It, it seems it doesn't seem like that long. Well, we'll get into that. But how about a quick report from WrestleCade? Uh, uh, any any highlights, lowlights, uh, anything stand out? Um, yeah, I mean, they um, WrestleCade. I know you've been there before, and it's a three day convention um, that AML Wrestling runs um, on, and, and they run it on the Starcade weekend. They run it on the on the Thanksgiving weekend, and 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 here in this area, um, Thanksgiving Night Wrestling was a huge deal, even before Starcade at the Greensboro Coliseum. They would, you know, every every um, Jim Crockett promotions would run their would run their programs would run their feuds so that they would climax have the big fight you know the big showdown at the greensboro coliseum on thanksgiving night and so that was really a tradition for you know 15 or 20 years and um so now they do it and they bring back a lot of the old wrestlers and um and they bring back a lot of people current so we saw you know at the convention they had everybody from um from Kane to Bob Cottle to Harley Race to George South to um, the Outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and um, just all kinds of you know all kinds of people. It's my first time meeting. It was my first time meeting Brother Love, Bruce Pritchard. It was my first time meeting a lot of guys. But I mean, I, I thought, um, and it was it was a really cool time. I had a great time. I mean, it was and and kind of picked up a lot of different things. A lot of the. Um, old time fans faces I know and recognize from the 1980s. And then a lot of, um, a lot of people currently on the end of the scene, a lot of talented people all together and a lot of, you know, a lot of mainstream people and a lot of, um, a lot of really talented people that work the Indies too. So, um, uh, I had a great time. Yeah, it's a great event. It's a well-produced event. I was there a couple of years ago. It was the first time, actually first and only time I ever saw Ricochet live, and that's when I knew that guy was going to be a star. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, but uh, were the Mulkey brothers there? Not this time. No, I don't I feel know. so. I don't feel so bad that I didn't get invited this year. The, the, the Mulkey bro- brothers are like, you know, regulars there, so. Oh yeah, I, and the, the, I got to eat dinner with them at a, a, a one of those Charlotte NWA Legends Fan Fest, and they were great. I mean, yeah, they were. But yeah, the, you would see them a lot. Um, it seems like the nostalgia is moving away from that era, from the '80s Crockett guys to um, the '90s Monday Night War guys. Um, you know, uh, a lot of that, and a lot of the ECW guys were there too. Yeah, I know that they did a, a panel for ECW, and I know that. Uh, 
I know that I saw Sonny Ono posted a whole bunch of pictures with a lot of WCW guys. Gave me a lot of good ideas for uh, future guests. So uh, me and oh, me, yeah. me and Sonny have been uh, texting. I'd love to get Mongo McMichael and Ernest Miller and some people like that that don't do a lot of podcasts. Um, so you mentioned that uh, on social media that uh, you were at the bar at one point and that uh, Marty Janetti was not the 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 the, the <laughs> big, big. I tried I tried to get you to give me a hint and you totally blew me off and ignored me. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. So um, could you give me because 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 so Marty Janetti wasn't the 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 craziest and 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 Nobbs doesn't drink anymore. So. Wow. Unless he started drinking again, I don't think he has. Uh, so I'm wondering, could you give me a hint? Like uh, last names rhymes with. Um, it, it re- I hate to say this, but it was not. A, it was not a, a, a wrestler. It was not a a, a well known name. It was um, a school teacher friend of mine who she had a great time. Well, I'll just say that. So, um, and and either knew a lot of people or um, got to know a lot of people. So I'll just put it like that. So, <laughs> so it was just kind of like, whoa, when you're, um, when you're out doing Jim Mitchell, um, that's, um, you know, as far as devilish behavior, I think that that's, you know, that's noteworthy, but you have uh, a friend of mine described from the Matt Hardy um, series of uh, the broken Matt Hardy series, Brad Stutz and I were just sitting there going, can you believe this? And so, you know, see some things over the years i'm sure i haven't seen as much as you have but still it was pretty entertaining so i, I yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to blow you off about that I oh that's that's I okay so yeah. so you grew up a wrestling fan in in uh north carolina correct me if i'm wrong yes sir yeah i, I um i was i i just i was just fortunate enough to kind of this is what this is how it happened. I was in high school in Durham, North Carolina, and a buddy of mine said, "You know, are you watching wrestling?" And like I'd watched it over the years. I'd watched it with, um, you know, when Paul Jones was on top, and um, when um, Johnny Weaver and that kind of thing. Growing up, and they and the guy said, and "I said it was all right," you know, and the guy said, "No, no, no, you need to see this blonde guy." And the blonde guy was Ric Flair. Sure. And so that that time when Ric Flair and Blackjack Mulligan and Ricky Steamboat and Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper and and um, Mass Superstar and all those guys were in the Carolinas, um, that's when I really got hooked. And I didn't realize it, but I was seeing something that was, you know, at a real peak. Um, they they had, you know, the, the Crockett's had had arguably the best talent base in the world and they were running three shows a night and, and mixing up talent back and forth and um, just really on fire. So um, that was, I was having a lot of fun watching that and going to shows, but I didn't realize that I was like also kind of getting educated to stuff too. I just was going along for the ride. And then the eighties, um, a friend of mine hooked me up with um, my friend, John Hitchcock hooked, hooked me up with a group of fans who um went to the Greensburg Coliseum every show and had permanent front row tickets and I had a blast doing that. You know, that was just um that I mean you're talking about the Four Horsemen and Dusty Rhodes and the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express and and um you know Magnum TA and Nikita Koloff and all that stuff, eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine and um on on into the nineties and and um we were there every you know we were there for the big stuff and we were there as it kind of went downhill too. So, um, it was, a, it was a lot of fun and I started, started connecting with people and started, um, you know, maybe you've heard of this publication, but I started reading the, the wrestling observer and, um, writing letters to Dave Meltzer. And that's kind of started me with, um, 
got me an offer from you know to write for free for Wade Keller, and I did that, and it's grown for 28 years. So, and you're still um, writing for free? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, it's a, it's a, I I have a real full time job as a school teacher, and and it's a great part time job, and it's um, I've had so many cool experiences over the years, including this weekend, um, that sure. um you know, that are right there with this stuff. So the group was called front row section D correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, like you said, you guys were at the Greenboro Coliseum. You, uh, uh, what were the, uh, the name you just mentioned Hitchcock. Yes. John Hitchcock, um, Oban Johnson, who became infamous in Smoky mountain wrestling. Um, the, Jim Cornette had to chase him with a baseball or beat up his car with a baseball bat one night. And um, Oban Johnson, who was a CBS news, who became a CBS news producer. Um, he's retired now, but, um, and Eddie Beeson. And just, there was, there was just a crew that would go every single show and we would root for the bad guys. And that was during the time when, you know, bad guys are always popular, but nobody's really rooting for them. And we would root for the bad guys and no matter who they were and, and root against the good guys and you know we thought dusty Rhodes was the devil you know i mean we didn't really but we just had a really good time doing that and um brought the signs and and had fun with that and um you know we were hams we they did a lot of television tapings around here so we would go to the greensburg coliseum or to dorton arena and raleigh and know where the cameras were and so um <laughs> we'd look for the red light and get on tv as stupid as that sounds and it was stupid uh, but it was fun and um you know you get um i remember my brother calling me from florida going was that you i just saw on television um because you know we had been hamming up when the road warriors got beat up by um the um powers of pain in the weightlifting contest i mean you know then we were right on camera for that it was you know that kind of stuff it's like we had had a lot of fun and um people they they didn't like us but they looked forward to us in certain ways and and you know we 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 had fun with the wrestlers too so um it was a, it was a cool time did you get to know any of the talent back then? It was a totally different business, obviously. Uh, but did you get to know any of them? Like, know where the bars they went to? And yeah, a little bit. Um, I had some experience with Ric Flair. Um, you know, and Ric Flair was you know a legend in the bars. And and then um, there was you know we would um, we would talk to guys at the show too. I remember we would talk to one of the stories was um, that you know Klondike Bill, this legendary wrestler, was now the, the head of the ring crew. I'm sure you knew him and um, he would, you know, build the ring. And if there was a cage match on the, on the card, you know, he, you know, they'd have an intermission, they'd build the cage. He would do a lot of it. Then he would be the one to sit at ringside in a chair in a steel, you know, in a chair and wait for the match. And every time what would happen, you know, the formula was, you know, it wasn't going to be a clean finish. They were going to, you know, if it was Dusty Rhodes and, and Tully Blanchard in the steel cage, then, um, you know, the horsemen were going to come out, attack Klondike Bill, steal the key from him, and get into the cage. And, you know, Mayhem would, would, would um, you know, go through. And I remember we sat there and talk, we were looking at Klondike Bill. I was like, hey, Klondike. And we talked to him from time to time. It's like, hey, Klondike, you know they're going to come beat your ass tonight right it's like you know this is gonna happen and he's looking at us and he goes 
this is happened it happens all the time and he looks at us and goes you know what i never understand why they beat me up if they just asked me for the key i give it <laughs> it's like there you are and so that we were friends with him and and he clued us in on a lot a lot of things and um and um we got to know you know we got to know um Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson was our guy. You know, it's like so. Um, those guys would talk about us on the on the localized interviews, um, not all the time, but every once in a while. And that was like winning the Academy Award to hear to hear like you know hear like Tully Blanchard go. You know, our guys in Greensboro will be ready on the front row, and we were just like, oh yeah. And and Arn was the same way. And, you know, they would and, and Jim Cornette too. Um, they would. And, and Bobby Eaton, because we, we had a really high regard for them. And, you know, Bobby Eaton was so talented. And um, so it would be like, you know, it's kind of like, hey, how you doing? And, and, and doing that. And as I got more into the torch and as I got more into um, wrestling, I definitely got to know, you know, some people. But um, but when we were there, we didn't chase them in the bars too much every once in a while. But um, we would go to Denny's. That was much how nerdy we were. We would go to Denny's and some of the wrestlers would go to Denny's and um Dr. Tom Miller, who preceded you as a ring announcer for for the Crockett's, would hold court there, and that was kind. Of, I look back at that and go, "What was I thinking? I should have been going to the bar." So, um, you know, that was kind of following my friends. Well, so. back in those days, you'd have taken a bat seat to the to the hundreds of girl women that were out there. But uh, oh, the way the, way, the yeah. way the business has changed now, there are no women that go to the bars. At least uh, the last time I was around. So, uh, other my than friend, your other than your schoolgirl friend. Yeah, yeah. My, um, my friend the other night, Kim, she was she was uh, kind of a throwback to the old days. But yeah, we definitely um, we definitely got to know some of the um, some of the ones who were how should we say it girlfriends. Um, you know, there's another word for it, but we definitely got to know them. And I remember one time, um, you know, this girl's coming through, and she's young, and she looks good, and she's got um, you know, she kind of had the um, the prince or like the lingerie glove, and she's like, you know just just really and i've just given her a hard time and i'm just like look at you it's like does your mother know what you look like and how you're dressed tonight she brought me here and she and she dropped me off with ricky morton and i'm like okay i asked shut the hell up you know it's like whoa so we you know we Um, would um we would interact with them too yeah the mothers and the and the daughters would would fight each other for the it was crazy back then oh yeah thank god i was married and i didn't partake in any of that but it was always fun to watch but uh but i'll never forget uh there was one point probably god when was this 97 98 i i travel with arn anderson a lot and uh and he, he's been a good friend and uh and he goes we were at, it was after monday nitro and we're sitting at the bar and it's about 11 o'clock 11 30 well no it ended at 11 so about 12 12 30 and he goes penzer he said look around what do you see and i said i don't know a bunch of people at a bar he goes it finally dawned on me all the rats are guys now. Look at there's not a girl in this place other than that somebody who truth. works for there's WCW. Of, yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, and it just sort of sort of happened. I nobody really could understand why. Maybe the whole kayfabe thing was like, well, what do I want to you know come on to Ricky Morton for if he's really buddy buddies with 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 Jim Cornette and you know I, I don't know what it was, but there was just you know we didn't really we didn't partake, but it was always fun to watch the ones you know the daughters fight with the mothers and and and. Uh, 
and the young guys, you know, the Pillmans and the Tom Zinks and and all the the shenanigans that went on. But uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and just one day we just realized there's no other than the people who worked there. There was no for WCW. There's no women left. So uh, so I'm sure I'm sure yeah, your I, friend I'm sure your friend this weekend was a fun throwback to uh, the days gone by. I think so. I think so. I don't want to tell her you said that, but yeah, there you go. I, I def, yeah, it definitely was there. And, um, you know, and I think also there's just, there were certain stars that, you know, Magnum TA had this following Ric Flair always did, um, you know, and the horseman did somewhat, but, but Ricky Morton was, you know, you know, he was like, he was looked at like the next door neighbor boy, boyfriend, you know, a boy band, and guy who was a star and boy they loved him i mean I've, I've talked about this before but there's a there's a hardy's on market street in greensboro that opened up it's still there but opened up in market street's the main drag of greensboro and they had the rock and roll express uh, when they opened come and make an appearance and this was in the heyday and i'll never forget there was uh, there was a line on the sidewalk of market street a mile and a half long on down market street for these people to to go and see those guys so that level of like excitement or level of like this is a big deal and you know ricky morton and robert gibson took advantage of you know understandably took advantage of that you know to the nth degree and you know brian pillman and tom zink to a certain extent brian pillman particularly tom zink you know he was good looking guy so he had those guys but yeah it kind of changed it didn't it wasn't um it wasn't you know, I'll hear every once in a while, like, you know, how's my boyfriend John Cena or how's my boyfriend Roman Reigns doing from kind of casual fans or teachers that I know. But I'll never, um, you know, these women will go, that's my boyfriend. But I, I, but that chasing around. And I think also they weren't, you know, in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, they're making regular appearances in your town sure. and around and they're on television. And so the the fans who really knew you know, knew where, you know, knew to travel the circuit and the girls really knew, you know, either they were, you know, the ones that were, um, you know, they were the ones that were there for what you're talking about. They were the sponsors who would come and, you know, come in and take some wrestlers clothes and go do their laundry for them and take care of them and, you know, run errands for them. And, and some, and most of the time, you know, there was, most of the time there wasn't a sexual relationship to those relationships, but there was definitely there. And I think that, um, once they once there was that local circuit was gone, I think that took away a lot of it because you, know, you don't you're only going to see the wrestlers like once, you know, once a year. Now fans travel, you know, they travel, yeah. you know, these, these fans with a lot of money travel. But usually, like you said, they're guys. Um, well, the, I'm assuming the girls would go back to uh, college or high school or their job, whatever it was. And they'd say, hey, you know, who my boyfriend is in this city, at least, say, you know, Ricky Morton or Robert Gibson or Bobby, you know, uh, whoever, Bobby Fulton. And, and, you know, then they'd come back the next week and then they could brag about it some more. Well, when, when, when they're gallivanting across the world and only stopping by your city twice a year, it's kind of hard to get excited about something like that. But it did, it did totally change. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it did. And, you know, I've heard the stories I know you have too of in the seventies, the wrestlers, you know, who would be major stars in different territories and spend, six months in one territory be a major star in another territory in six months and they might have an entire family 
in one territory, move across the country to another territory, have an entire family there that they supported, um, and had another, you know, and, and had another family in another territory. I heard some, I've heard of specific examples of that, and I was always like, well, how do you support that? Oh yeah, the wives would work. So it's like, you know, you had your family, you know, you had your family in Florida, you had your family in the Northeast, you had your family in Minneapolis, you had your family in Charlotte or what, or however it worked. And, um, yeah, that, that went on too. I mean, it was, um, it was the wild west. It was definitely outlaws, you know. I was going to say, we had Ricky Morton on the podcast uh, a few months ago and I asked him, uh, you know, Point blank, I said, you know, everybody dreams of being a rock and roll star, being, you know, on the cover of Team Beat. And while you you, you didn't get that far, you pretty much were. Uh, and he told a couple stories about how, you know, it was at that time. And uh, and he, you know, he 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 I think he knows that he got to live to something special uh, that a lot of, you know, most people don't get to to live to. Hey, uh, change your course. Um was there real heat with Dusty Rhodes because you were writing for the kayfabe sheets? You were supporting the heels. Dusty, you know, was Dusty, and and uh, and and you know, he was the the not only the Booker but the the number one babyface. Was there any real heat with you guys, or was it uh, just yeah, kind of- yeah, there was, and it wasn't so much that because once I started really it was like 1990-91 when i started i started in 19 september 1990 i think and writing for the torch um but it was you know we we love not not to cut you off but is that still when it came with a color picture yes yes i, I kind of <laughs> came at the end of that the yeah the, the um the color picture you know we know when people are re- have really been you know known about the torch for a long time or been subscribers or whatever it is. It's like when you, when you bring up the picture, some of the, I I remember the one, there was a great picture of Barry Windham skulking away in the, you know, in the, um, dressed as sting. Um, that was, um, days that was just you know wade would take most of those pictures he'd get them from some other people but um that was always the big bonus and you just look back and go that no one would like care today <laughs> but it's um no. you know and it was really a you know it was a, a an honest to god photograph you could hold in your hand so yeah that, yeah you know that was text, t- yeah text me a picture wade uh <laughs> yeah yeah no it was it was different and you know it's funny um you talk about the beginning of the Wrestling Observer. I had a couple of weeks ago. We had Jerry Lynn on, and I I I don't know that uh, I credit Ray. I mean, Wade, Wade's a great uh, a great businessman and uh, and and a great writer. But as far as uh, you know, creating you know feuds and stuff like that, I don't know that he hold that that that's something that he. Uh, ever really tried to do but it was funny because really the sean waltman jerry lynn both kind of in a strange way owe their careers to the rise of the pro wrestling torch because wade wade was um going to ropers in right yeah fridley minnesota and minnesota and he's looking and he sees these two guys that are these real young guys you know working a, a faster different style and he's just like, this is great. And he writes about it and he takes pictures yeah. of it. And, and yeah, you started realizing that if you gave positive press or, or negative things, you know, like it, it had an impact and he, you know, through that, they got booked in, um, by Joe Pettacino and the global wrestling federation. And, um, and then, you know, they went different paths, but one, two, three kid, you know, went pretty much to the WWF and from there and, you know, Sean Waltman, real talented and you know they're um you know you know 
those guys are, you know, Wade Keller and, and Waltman are friends to this day. And, um, and Jerry Lynn too, he went a different path, but he went everywhere and was, you know, tremendous too. And yeah, that was one of the first times I think where that really, um, broke loose. And I saw Jerry Lynn this weekend. It was the first time I'd seen him and boy, he looked good. I mean, he, you know, and, and has, you know, has a good life going family and a good job and, and, you know, enjoying making the wrestling visits. But, um, he's, you know, for a guy that did what he did, he's come through really well. I always root for that. That's, that's cool to see. But I want to go back to, you know, I, we had as fans ringside, we had Dusty Rhodes didn't like being, um, jeer, didn't like any of that. And it always amazed me that we didn't get kicked out. They never kicked us out, you know, and they never, they tried to like compensate signs. Sometimes we did stuff like, um, but once the show was starting, if we had the signs, they let us have them. But, um, we did things like find a kid and, and let the kid bring the signs in and, you know, that kind of thing, or, you know, you know, put them, you know, have, have people that they weren't looking for to like, you know, put them in your shirt and all that. Kind of, it was silly, but it was there, but dusty did not like being jeered at all. And, um, you know, and I, you know, when I look back, I understand why, you know, and, but I also, we thought we had so much fun at wrestling and, you know, we love flair and, and we thought Dusty was good, but Dusty was getting to be less of the performer and the crowds were going down and he was booking more and more about himself, even as the crowds were going down. And so, um, you know, I'm sure he was frustrated. We were frustrated and mad about it. And, you know, we would give him hell. I mean, it was just like, we were just like, you know, look, you know, and so, yeah, there was, um, you know, there were wrestlers who didn't like us. Sid Udy didn't like us. Um, Sid Vicious didn't like us. And, um, there were, um, but yeah, Dusty, Dusty in particular, I, I talked about this recently, but, um, you know, he, the, the, um, match for the hundred thousand dollars, um, that, he, that he had um, against Tully Blanchard and they did this finish with a count out and we sell, you know, like he had won the match and beaten Tully Blanchard. And then, you know, of course there was something, you know, something off with the um, disqualification and he had to go chase um, JJ Dillon who stole the, the money out of the paper bag from poor Magnum TA after the car wreck and all this stuff. And, um, and so Tommy Young, who's acting like he's at a funeral, is like counting Dusty out um, because Dusty doesn't realize that the match continues. And we're counting along with him and high fiving each other. And just re- and Dusty <laughs> did not like that. And he got back on the mic. And this is the era where you didn't hear a lot of swearing and, and swore at us and um, was really. And it was on, you know, like it was one of those deals on television where it's the first time I ever saw the, the sound get changed because they didn't want us chanting and laughing and all that and um and, they, and what dusty said of course they bleeped out and you're just like yeah it was like there was there was that part and as we got as we started to know more about um started to get more inside information or you know or, or getting some idea of what was going on then we weren't afraid to put them on signs you know my friend hitchcock um john you know you know, later on during the Jim Hurt era had the famous um, We Heard Enough sign right in the middle of a pay-per-view and, you know, to, to protest Jim Hurd not, maybe not being as uh, competent as he should have been. And that, you know, all hell broke loose with that. And that was, um, you know, those kind of things. We, you know, we love that. If Dusty Rhodes was yelling at us or, spit, or Sid, Sid Vicious was spitting at us or some guy like got mad, um, you know, as long as we knew not to touch the wrestlers, um, you know, we, we looked at that like it was the, the Academy Award. You know, we, we sure. thought that was 
that was great. If the bad guys talked to us for a minute, we thought that was great. If the if the good guys were pissed, and and you know, if the referees would um, ask us whether some guy pulled hair, and we'd tell them, well, no, no he didn't. You know, we we, had a, you know, we, we would do all. That's that stuff. not the way it's supposed to go, Bruce. No, it wasn't. But you know, we would do like, did he pull hair? And the referee look at us, go, did he pull hair? No, no, no. And then, um, and then when the um. The baby face would pull, would not pull hair. The heel would ask, heels like, ask them. He pulled my hair. Yeah, yeah, he's pulling his hair. So <laughs> you know, we would, we would have a lot of that. There was one night when um, Sting came out and just goes, he had just come back from an injury or something, and we had a sign. You, you know, Hitchin made a sign, and we come up with the idea, welcome back. Instead of welcome back, Sting, we just changed the G to a K. And Sting came out, and he was like, he looked and he smiled and he waved, and then he went what? And he went over to the various places. And he goes, I just want, I just have something to say to you people, to you people, and those assholes over there. And we were just like, oh, this is, <laughs> you know, this is the greatest moment in our life. And um, you know, that was that was kind of part of it. And but they knew that we weren't going to get in the ring or, or you know, put our hands on wrestlers or do anything crazy. We didn't swear or anything like that. So, um, you know, th- and there were people in the company that enjoyed it, you know, and there were people, when, particularly when Dusty was not doing so well politically and, and the business, you know, they needed to change and they didn't really see it. They, you know, the, the people that did see it in the company liked it. So, um, but there were people that were nice to us all the time. Um, um, uh, Tony Gillum and Tony Schiavone and all that, they always like kind of looked out for us and, and were cool. So that was definitely part of it. Thank God for Tony Gillum. If it wasn't for Tony Gillum, I'd probably be listening to his podcast right now. <laughs> exactly. I was wondering if you'd react to that name. But yeah, I guess he does. Um, he does. He does uh, public announcing for the Carol for the Carolina Hurricane. I think he's still got his hand in somewhere. So. Yeah. He was pretty connected in that area, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, he he made a mistake, and his mistake was my gain, and uh, that works. Uh, I don't know that I ever saw him after that, but hey, Tony, if you're listening, I appreciate it. Uh, what's your favorite match or segment ever from the Greensboro Coliseum? Because I, you know, I do other people's podcasts, and they say well, that's your favorite match from WCW or segment. And it's like I have like five or six, but could you could you uh, limit it down to one? Um, there's one that uh, talk about it's kind of a lost feud and it was 1988 and all of a sudden, um, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson and J.J. Dillon were getting into it with the Midnight Express with Bobby right. Eaton and Stan Lane and Jim Cornette. And we went to the show and, you know, you go to these shows and they were stacked. I mean, they were, you know, in the heyday, they just had, they had a lot of great talent and you see this great stuff. And we'd look at each other in intermission and go, man, can you believe how, how good this show is? And then we'd always just say, well, you got Ric Flair to go, you know, Ric Flair mm-hmm. was the top and he was going to get the, the great match out of anybody. And if he had the right opponent, he was really going to get a great match. And so we go, man. And so Ric Flair, I don't even remember who he was facing on this show, but before that in the semi main was the midnight for us and um, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. It was the first time, you know, it was heel versus heel, but it was these six guys who were so experienced um, in working with each other, with working as a team with each other. And then, and then you had Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton who went way back 
and you had J.J. Dillon. Yeah. And, they were neighbors at the time. Yeah. I mean, you had J.J. Dillon. You had Stan Lane, whose parents um, would sit up in – he was from Page High School here in Greensboro, and his parents would sit at every show, like, um, up one level above us, kind of looking down. We, we sent his mom flowers a couple of times. It was just like, you know. Um, and, and then so – it was like watching a finely t- – it was not watching, but it was like – I think of it like one of those very expensive timepieces, you know, that you put in, you know, the watches, you know, pocket watches that are, you know, from Europe where every little piece of that watch is perfectly balanced and there's no nothing extra and there's nothing there. And it went to a double disqualification, but we were just – we had our mouths open during it because you know you got the two managers who knew how to knew how to interplay with each other back and forth. You had all this stuff going on. You know Blanchard was a great wrestler and a great heel, and and you know and and then Bobby Eaton was just tremendous. And it would just go back and forth. And at one point you'd be rooting for one team, and the other point for, and the fan and another point you'd be rooting for the other team because, like I said, they're both heels. And then the fans were just kind of like, wow, either just into it, into it, into it. And and then they had, you know, they, then they both got disqualified and we were just like, oh man, I can't wait to see that match come back next month. And when we came back to the next month, um, um, I think it was Gillum, but he turned around and he goes, they're gone. And this was before, you know, we were getting newsletters and all that. I mean, we were getting, the, I was getting the wrestling server. I think John was too, but but it came once a week. And so, right. you know, we didn't know, no. And so um, it came in and th- so this could happen. And, and ring announcer just got, looks at us. We're sitting down and he goes, they're gone. You know, the rematch was on this show and it's like, they're gone. And they had, you know, they had the Midnight Express against somebody. And it wasn't, you know, because Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson had gone to be the Rainbusters in, in WWF. And it was just like, oh, man. So to me, that was always, there's like one tape of, there's a hand, fan handheld camera of, a, of the last match in Philadelphia. Right. Um, but there's not, um, you know, it, there's a lot of cool interviews back and forth that were on television on the syndicated shows. But there's no like production of that match and, and, and anything like that. So that one, uh, among my friends, that one's kind of a legendary match. And we saw a lot of great matches. And you could definitely, um, you know, there, you know, you know, Ricky Morton getting the crap kicked out of him by Tully Blanchard or by Ric Flair was, you know great and and you you couldn't beat terry funk and you you know you couldn't beat van vader and you know and and always flair and you know sting had his great matches and we got to see kind of the rise of mcfoley and and so uh, as cactus jack and so there was a lot of great stuff but that's kind of the one i always point to that i go man i would have loved to seen like 10 more of those yeah, I know getting to know all those parties, I know that there was uh a lot of regret about what could have been in the in that feud. Uh I don't think there was a lot of regret about the decision that Arn and Tully made, but uh because it was a business decision, but I, I do know that Arn has talked about and Jim Cornette and Bobby, uh JJ have talked about, you know, you know, they could change one thing. Uh they would have liked to have seen how that would have uh, progressed that feud. Yeah, that was going to make money. I mean, that was going to, that was going to, and this was back when, you know, if something got hot. The, um, the house show attendance would go up. If, it, if, if things were stale, it would go down. So, you know, we, we got, 
used to, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is really good. They're going to make money out of this. And, and kind of the relationship between bonding with the fans and getting them excited and then seeing more fans at, at an arena from month to month or less fans, you know, you know, we kind of learned that it's different now, you know, it's more, it's very much more, um, um, your TV, you know, the TV stars that you like to watch, you know, the wrestlers that you watch every week. Now they're in your town and go see them and they put on, you know, WWE has the house show down to a science in certain ways, but it's still, you know, it's still just, well, they're here once a year and, you know, nothing's going to happen on the show that really makes a lot of difference. And, you know, we always knew, like, we were always like excited to see the TV, you know, the, the, the TV trucks out there or, or the cameramen come out because we knew then, then we were going to get the good stuff and 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 there were no cameras for that one but boy was that the good stuff yeah i think that that if i remember correctly i think that jimmy Cornette said that that was they were going to turn him in the uh and midnight express baby face and that's what led to ultimately uh paul e coming back with randy rose and dennis condry where they did that which is still one of my favorite promos of all time when Cornette came back the next week and his uh, uh he was holding up his white jacket that was full of blood and said you know something uh, we had Cornette on something about you know hey, mama called me i said mama it's time for me to grow up yeah, you know, and yeah. this is one of my all-time favorite, which is my by the favorite. way nowhere on the internet. I can't find it anywhere. You've got to be kidding! That's no. Point. I told I Cornette that. Yeah. I told Cornette that about a year ago when he was on the podcast, and he was like, "No, it's on, it's on." And I looked and I looked and I googled and I googled, and it is not anywhere. You cannot find that. It's got to be uh, on. Now I will say this: it's got to be on the network because those shows, you know, they put up all the Saturday, all the um, WCW Saturday nights from the '80s. So I would think it'd be on there. But this is what I mean. I remember that. I, I just I remember exactly what promo you're talking about, and you know, the, the white coat with all the blood on it. But what I the other part I remember that was great. That was a great line. And the other part I remember was he raised his hand because it was just pandemonium in the, in the television. So the guy raises his hand and everybody shuts up. It's like they yep. knew this was a big thing. They wanted to hear it and it got really quiet. And then he just killed it even more on the promo. And yeah, that was, that was a deal too, where it was like, they could have done much more with that. And people were interested, you know, people were really interested in it, but there was just so much political, you know, there were people coming the, the court. It was the beginning of the corporate management of professional wrestling and people that didn't know what they were looking at and, and what was good and what wasn't and interfering with it. And that, yeah, that was, that was sad, but yeah, what, a, yeah, that was what happened. It was like, they had to do something and you know, what could they do to like really, and, and Cornette came up with that and told Dusty and Dusty went with it. But yeah, that's, um, yeah, that was what a great promo. That's gotta be somewhere. Holy smoke. no, Knowing Cornette as I do, you think back, he must have been apoplectic by that point. He was—he probably was so looking forward to doing the program with J.J. and Tully and Arn, and then they, they uh, skipped over to uh, the competition. So then he, you know, did the program with the original Midnight Express, did the great promo and all that, and then that went nowhere for reasons that had nothing to do with Jim Cornette. And at that point, he must have been, like, uh, ready to, to either drink himself under a table or, or uh, jump off a roof. But uh, Yeah, or... Yeah, strangle somebody. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's <laughs> definitely, um, de- definitely the truth. And and also, Arn Anderson, um, in that era, like uh, when Barry Windham became a horseman, 
Arn Anderson was doing these biblical promos that I I, I look back on, and they were just and, and part and some with you know with Bobby Eaton and Midnight Express talking about you know talking making it real personal. But he did these promos that were so great. I always thought that there was some of there was some of Stone Cold Steve Austin that he was like the early version of it that he, that he really could have like gone you know, gone further. I don't know as a baby face, but maybe, but it was just like, you just sit there with your jaw open watching Arn Anderson cut these amazing, you know, these amazing promos where he put everything together in such a passionate way. And, um, I do like look at it look like, you know, just a few years later, there was Steve Austin doing it in, in, a, in, in, in a somewhat similar way. But yeah, that stuff, those guys were really at their peak talent wise, but the business was, you know, not ready to support all that talent in certain ways. So it was, yeah, it was something else. Well, later on as, uh, as the, uh, Monday night, Eric, uh, rolled on and I was riding with Arn almost everywhere, uh, unless he wasn't booked. And, uh, I got some of the promos he did, like his retirement promo and the reformation of the horseman. I actually got to, you know, uh, hear him, uh, you know, prepare over a series of weeks because he knew it was coming you know he he sort of bounced stuff off of me and bounced stuff off of other people and um and it was it was amazing to see how a classic uh, all-time promo uh, uh by a classic all-time uh wrestler uh came together and he put a lot of thought into that it wasn't just like going up to the mic and and uh let me tell you something brother and because whatever came to his mind he i don't know about back in those days but i know that in the nitro days uh uh, some of the big promos he had the feud with flair he uh he put a lot of thought into that and it was, it was clearly good to see how i can i i am envious of being able of you being able to see see that process yeah. up, up i knew that that, that one where that one where he uh introduced the horsemen when they reformed and they said oh my alzheimer's uh, alzheimer's got to get me tapped to said he goes ladies and gentlemen i almost forgot rick flair i knew that promo word for word i could <laughs> i could say it i could say the entire promo along with him because by that time he trusted me enough to where he you know totally let me in and and let me uh uh you know not, uh, god i would i would be a liar to say that i had anything to do with any of that but he might run a line and say hey what do you think of that and i might say oh that's i would usually say that sounds great because he's a smart guy yeah and no. he still is actually so um you know that arn anderson is the one guy in the wrestling business um that the one who has kept a job in a major promotion, you know, since uh, and it depends on what, what you think of t- continental wrestling. And maybe you can say that was a major promotion, but since he walked in the door in Jim Crockett promotions and started feuding with, with that, with that fedora, you know, and the, and the New York yep. Yankees hat, like what the guy's doing, you know, like perfect heat in the, you know, in the South, you know, the Yan- New York Yankees. But from that time in 1985, 84, 85, all the way to 2018 continuously has had a job. Like he hasn't had a, you know, he hasn't had a, a six month break or um, a time where he was just collecting, um, you know, collecting guaranteed money or anything like that. He has always worked in the professional wrestling business and, you know, and it is up on everything today. And, you know, you know, as, as a, you know, as a producer in WWE. So, you know, he's, that's a smart guy. And, you know, we always kind of look at that like, Arn, you know, like Arn's our guy to see him. It was a year ago this weekend that he um, came out and gave one of the um, 
one of the revival guys and i know they were thrilled i think it was scott dawson um a um spine buster and and when they did the starcade show at the greensboro coliseum that saturday night and I, and, oh, I, that's right. and i was like oh my god i can't believe i'm seeing this this is like you know i, I about had tears in my eyes because we we had we loved arn and we had so much respect and still do and had so much respect for him I'd have had tears in my eyes if I was there live as well. I got to tell you, um, you told me <laughs> per- perfect. I-, I know that you do podcasts and you do interviews, so you know how this thing works. Usually, I book a, uh, an interview and uh, or a guest, and and you know, I say, all right, I'll we'll, we'll give you a call and, or we'll Skype at whatever time on whatever day, and then I go and do my homework. But you're you're you've been doing this long enough that you fed me some stuff. So God bless you. Uh, you told me to ask you about the precious dream date. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and I, I have to say, I know, I know a podcast is going well when I give the host um, some stuff and then we start talking and we don't get to it. Like to me, that's when you're like, okay, you're really in it. But um, yeah, we, you know, we were, um, we were big Ric Flair fans. And so um, 1987, I think it was somewhere in there. And th- a lot of the stuff is on the network now. Um, they they did this angle where Ric Flair started coming on to Precious, who um, was actually married to to Jimmy Garvin, but you know the right. the um, the valet of Jimmy Garvin, and she was you know really good and talented. And Garvin had the you know it's not my fault that he had turned he'd been a heel and then he turned into a babyface with with his brother, actually his stepdad Ronnie Garvin, and um, right. and so they did this deal where Flair, which is coming on to her every single week and he he bought her a you know he he you know he was the 60 man at man and he bought her a, a mink stole and then you know one of the more inf- infamous promos you'd ever see particularly in the 1980s they he he brought out a mannequin I remember that you know, in, a, in lingerie and started coming on to the mannequin like it was precious in lingerie. And it was it was weird, <laughs> but it was Ric Flair. You know, it was like you know, just like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. And so they um, did this bet. And, you know, he bet Jim Garvin gave him, you know, like J- Jimmy Garvin, give him a, 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 a shot at the NWA title and in a steel cage. But if, um, you know, and if Garvin won, he was going to be the NWA champion and, you know, right. and, and beat Ric Flair. And if, um, and if um, Ric Flair won, he got a dream date, a night with Precious. And this was, this was before the Attitude Era. I mean, wrestling was always on the edge, but not really that much. And this was before ECW, not, very, not really that much with sexual content. But this was, you know pretty dirty and and um pretty funny and and so um and i have to say too before the me too air or anything like that he was just sexually harassing the hell out of her and you know and we knew like rick flair was um you know rick flair was rick flair on television and then he was rick flair out in real life and there wasn't yes, that sir. much difference between the two I'm, no, everybody knows that and there really was you know there really, you know he lived the gimmick and and enjoyed his life and so um so they had the match in Greensboro, and we were just like, this is going to be – because we couldn't imagine that Jimmy Garvin would win the title because we weren't big fans of Jimmy Garvin. We thought he was um, not the hardest working guy in the world. But but this was a good match, and, and we knew that Flair would have that match. But we were just like, how are they, what are they going to do? What, how are they going to figure this out? And little did we know. you know, you know, you know um, And so anyway, they have the cage. Flair and Garvin are having, you know, Flair and Jimmy Garvin are having the match, and we're just 
giving poor precious hell. It's like, you know, you're going home with the nature boy. It's like, this is it. Like, you know, you were, and, and you know, you're happy about it and all that kind of, and she's laughing and spraying her spray and all that stuff. And, um, I mean, trying not to laugh too much, but she's like, you know, she's, she's in that and we're just giving her a hard time. And, and then, um, you know, and it's an even match or, you know, Garvin, like any, babyface heel match the babyface is winning most of the match and people are going crazy and it's it's a pretty nice crowd as i recall and i think like ten thousand people if, I, if, if my memory serves and um and so garvin does a leapfrog over flair and then hurts his knee you know as part of the story and then flair's working right. on his knee and killing him and you know and and the heat's really getting high and there's this oh, and, and and Ronnie Garvin comes out is like banging on the cage to encourage his brother to you know keep fighting and all this stuff. And I remember Tony Schiavone and um, David Crockett were at ringside. And unlike you know unlike today with a huge production, it was just a table, you know, like a card right. table and a television monitor and two guys in their chair, you know, in in just normal looking you know steel chairs hunched sure. over with their headphones on, you know, watching the one monitor and calling the match. And so I bring that up because um, it's really getting to like, Flair's about to put him in the figure four, you know, you can tell like he's going to win and, and everybody's standing up and I'm standing against the railing. And then I feel this guy's foot on my shoulder and I'm six foot two. Like what's the guy's foot doing on my shoulder? He steps on my shoulder. He leaps across and grabs hold of the cage, and I immediately thought, "Oh, there must be a Garvin cousin. This must be an angle." But then he was really—he was kind of scrawny. He had blonde hair, young, and he starts climbing up the cage, and and he gets all the way to the top, and then we're just like, "Oh my God! It's a television production." You know, they'd done this this match. They'd had another match that you know clearly it's going to be the whole hour show. These two matches and um, in the steel cage, and he pulls himself and he gets all the way to the top. And um, Garvin's trying to grab him, and Klondike Bill's trying to grab him, and the guy who finally got him at the last second. And I just remember like Tommy Young looking up, and Ric Flair looking up, and Jimmy Garvin looking up. Even though you know they kind of got out of got out of the figure four a little bit because they knew what was about to come was the guy getting in the ring, and then you know, and I, I'm always amazed at this because there's only one outcome to that, which is you get your ass kicked. And back in Absolutely. those days, they drag you out. Well, and I'll get to that part, but. It, Anyway, so he's almost there, and the guy who grabs him is David Crockett. Like David Crockett, who was carrying a little extra weight, you know, wasn't, you know, was, you know, you know kind of the middle-aged man doing the, doing the announcing and, and all that. But it was also his company. He grabs, he grabs him by the leg, and then um, I think Klondike got the other leg, or maybe Garvin did, and they yank him straight down. Only he lands on the table with a monitor, and so everything goes like you know just whammo and it's just like what's going to happen with that television show and then you know we knew we never experienced it because none of us were th that dumb but we we heard the legends and the stories which was and we we saw you know once the cops got a hold of you on that on that concrete floor um they weren't 
you know, they weren't like stand up and walk out of here. They just, you know, they drag you by your ankles. I mean, they, you know, they, they were not pleasant with it, nor should have they have been. And then always the story was, you know, it was worse once they got, they got these people out of sight. And um, I'll just never, I mean, I'll never forget, like, I want to see this on television. And somehow they got the ending and you only saw a glimpse of the guy coming over the cage. But that guy, I mean, I was just like, that guy stepped on my shoulder. I was like, what in the hell? And I was standing straight up and um, leaped over there. And God knows what he thought he was going to do. Um, and we always, that was back in the era where every once in a while someone would try to get in the ring a few years before that, really. But, you know, a year or two before that, I mean, I remember some guy jumping in on Nikita Koloff when Nikita was, you know, at his largest. And it was just like, what are you doing? What exactly is going to happen when you grab the guy? And the answer was nothing. But they always wanted to go after the big guys. They never, you know, why don't you jump one of the mulkies? Like, you're going to jump somebody. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you doing? Because these guys are going to, like, I never had any illusions about any of that. You know, like, you're just going to get your ass kicked. It's like, that's all. And I never, like, had the emotion of, I had the emotion of how I'm having a great time at a show and having a lot of fun. And I never had that emotion of, I need to, like, go in the ring and stop something. But I'll say this if we thought somebody did, um, we might we might verbally encourage them a little bit and then laugh our asses off when we can get them to go over. So, um, you know, that, but. So, how did how did the match end? Oh, the match. Okay. So, let, let's tell that. <laughs> Sorry about that. And so, Flair wins the match. People are mad as you know, mad as hell. But when the heels won, they were, they weren't as, as like chippy with us as when the baby faces all went over. And of course we had the classic line back then was, you know, the, the whole formula was the heels would lie and, you know, Arn Anderson and every, and Tully Blanchard and everybody, JJ would, and, and Cornette, they'd all, you know, brag on these interviews and then they go to the arenas and get their ass kicked, but they wouldn't lose their titles because there'd be some sort of technicality they keep them with. So we learned very early on, you know, you'd watch your hero, you know, you watch your villainous hero, get his butt kicked, get pinned, everything except lose the title. And so, um, you know, like, you know, you guys got it, blah, 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 you know, like you guys got his ass kicked. He won. He got a three count on him. Well, who's got the belts. And so that's what we would do. Like who's got the belts. And, you know, then they get really mad, you know, they get madder. But if something like that happened where flair actually won, flair didn't win very much, you know, really. And so where flair actually won, we were just ecstatic. And we, of course we were just, you know, digging into um, precious and giving her a hard time and giving Jimmy Garvin a hard time, even though he put up this valiant effort and wasn't his fault that his knee collapsed on him and blah, blah, blah. And then we watched the television the next week and they had the dream date. And boy, was that something because it was this footage of, you know, here comes JJ Dillon and Ric Flair to come to pick up precious. And Flair's got, Flair's got on his robe. No, no, Precious is coming to the door. They're at, they're in the hotel room, and you know they show the big um, hot tub and show the big bed. And Flair's got on his robe, and he's got on his brogan uh, brogan um, dress shoes on that like don't fit. You're just laughing, going what in what in the what in the hell? And JJ's doing the the pervert that wants to watch in the closet, and and all this stuff. And so they go, you know, knock 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 on the door. There she is. It's Precious, and the dream date's about to begin. And you know, you kind of know that this is on six oh five on TBS on a Saturday night. That maybe it isn't going to be all that X rated. Although you know, we certainly hope so. And um, and so knock on the door. And then Flair starts backing up from the door, 
because it's Ronnie Garvin in drag. Oh, I remember that in drag. In, yeah, in I drag. That. And we're like, what is? And and so Flair's like, Ronnie's got these stupid dress shoes on, and um and and oh, it's for you know. He's chasing JJ and he knocks him into the hot tub and JJ does one of those Pratt falls and then Flair and then he turns and knocks out Flair with the you know the Garvin punch you know the one the hands of stone and you know right. you got a you got a transvestite baby face knocking out your champion who's wearing you know who's wearing um, a, a robe and and knowing Ric Flair I wouldn't want to guess I, I mean I wouldn't be shocked if he if he wasn't all the way in character as far as like what was underneath the robe or wasn't underneath the robe and then he's wearing you know brown dress shoes and that sets up the you know that sets up the big feud between Ronnie Garvin and and Ric Flair where Ronnie Garvin won the title in Detroit in, in a steel cage match and and then went to Starcade and lost it back but yeah that was some. That was some goofy stuff, but we had a lot of fun with it. I mean, that was, and it was, um, you know, as you said, as you said, I remember that most people, if you remind them that, that saw it back in the day, you don't forget all, you don't forget the, um, the mannequin and then Ronnie Garvin and a big blonde wig and drag. I mean, that was some funny stuff. Well, knowing Ric Flair, like I know him, I can assure you if he was, if, if he, if he wasn't, uh, naked under the robe during that, uh, that shoot, uh, in the hotel room, he definitely was later that night at the bar. Oh, so. yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> T- tell me about the night of the squeegees, because I think I, I I might have part of the story. Okay, so so yeah, you know what? Um, and you have the part because you saw the beginning of it. There was an incident in um, was it the airport? But you saw it. Tell that part of the story, then I'll I'll pick it up after that. There was a, a hotel. Uh, it was called the Dungeon. Was the name of the hotel and the bar, and um, uh, a lady named Delane Donovan, who actually still runs it. It's not the same hotel anymore. She gave the wrestlers like a thirty-five dollar rate, I think, at the time for a room, and it's where all the boys came, and of course, then you know all the the the, the girls came, and it was whenever TV was over, the Omni shows were over. It was a a huge party there at the Dungeon, and all kinds of crazy stuff happened uh you know harley race walking around with a with uh one of those uh uh what are they called the stun gun things? oh yeah tasing yeah, t- t- tasing people on the ass and people are taking bumps over tables with drinks on them and including me oh, and uh and all kinds of crazy things happened over the years i can remember the nasty boys and kevin sullivan uh uh gimmicking um uh Kevin's daughter Shannon's boyfriend at the time and uh and Kevin's just laughing and Shannon's laughing and her boyfriend's passed out and they're shaving off his eyebrows and they put him on a a, a luggage cart and brought him up back up to the room and just left him on the luggage cart I mean it was crazy yeah. but um there was one night that uh uh, I don't know why. I know a lot of the wrestlers parked there too because they could park there for free and take the shuttle over to the airport. Uh, it was a Ramada Airport East. And uh, so Sid was working for WWE at the time, is after he left w- or WWF. It's after he left uh, WCW. And uh, he had hurt himself. He'd come back. He came into he, he he came in at one point. His car was outside. He came into the bar, and he ended up getting to a an argument with Pillman and Mike Graham, who you know both small in stature, but at least Mike uh, is tough as nails, and Pillman's pretty crazy himself. And 
So they were just, they, they just railed on Sid. I mean, between the two of them, they were just, you know, he, he looked like he wanted to go crawl under, uh, you know, a, a floor mat or something. And, uh, and so he goes, really? I'll show you guys. I'm going out to my car. And there were some of us who were like worried about, you know, you know, it, it, that kind of stuff didn't really happen back then. But, you know, if it was 2018, uh, there'd probably be like bomb squads and 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 police call because there was people that were worried that he was going to have uh, like at the very at the very most he was going to come back with a gun and shoot the whole place up right and at the very he at the very least he was going to come back with a tire iron right and it, uh, you know and and try, try to gain revenge so you know. It wasn't the pandemonium that you'd expect because most of the people there were, including the talent involved, were pretty buzzed. Uh, but uh, but there was certainly like, oh, he's going to go out and get his tire iron or a baseball bat and let's see what he could do. You know, put, um, Graham's like, you duck, I'll take him down, I'll scissor him and, you know, and, and whatever. Anyway, so he, he's walking, wait, wait, all the boys are waiting for the, for him to come in and see what he has in his hand. And he comes back and not only didn't he have a tire, he didn't have a gun. He didn't have a tire iron. He didn't even have a baseball bat. He had a squeegee, which is what you use <laughs> to get the ice off of your car. And I've never seen Pillman looked at Mike Graham. Mike Graham looked at Pillman. They both looked at Sid and they just started laughing hysterically. And by the whole, the whole bar, all the boys and the girls and whoever else was there just started to laugh. And Sid, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I actually kind of feel bad for him in hindsight because it's pretty humiliating. Um, just stormed out of the place. Yeah, I'll I'll get you guys back down the road. Don't you worry. But uh, it, it it became pretty big folklore in uh, the dirt sheets and stuff like oh, that. Definitely. And, you know, I'll I'll never you know the you know with the, with with the squeegee because I mean everybody was wondering what he was going to bring back. Nobody, like I said, nobody's really worried about it, but uh, nobody in their wildest dreams would have thought that he'd have grabbed a squeegee. He probably couldn't get the tire iron out of the little right. spot. Yeah, he's probably just desperately looking for whatever. Didn't have a baseball bat and said, and all he could find was a squeegee, but he got laughed out of the place. But um, so, have, so that's that. So, so that's, apparently you have part two. Yeah, I have part two and actually part three. Part three is the best part of, of my part. Your part's pretty damn good. We didn't like Sid. I mean, we thought, you know, when, when he first appeared on the scene, he had some matches with uh, with a wrestler named Lee Scott, who was enhancement wrestler. Remember, remember him? Yeah, yeah, and he was he became a I think he became a Hollywood stuntman after after this. But he made he was this skinny guy, kind of like a mulky, had a little bit more muscle tone. But Sid could pick him up and toss him out of the ring. And so my friends thought, oh my God, Sid, because Sid looked great. He had the greatest look ever, you know, and, um, and they thought he was great. And, and it was kind of like, and then he came to wrestle and in the immortal worlds of Wade Kelly punched like a kitten, um, batting at a ball of yarn. I mean, it was just like, he didn't do anything. And we right. quickly like, you know, and he, but he got every break, every advantage. And so he kind of became, he became a target, you know, it's like somebody we would razz pretty good. And, um, as I said, you know, he was, he wasn't adverse to spitting at us and that kind of thing. Not the nice, lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Exactly. So, um, so we read that 
in the Wrestling Observer, and we read that story, and that story was pretty well known. And so when WCW came back to Greensboro, of course, Sid was in WWE at that point. We'd even seen him have that terrible match with Elegante at that pay-per-view. We were, we were down in Florida for that, where he was going to the WWE, and he stood up, had a stretcher match. He stood up immediately, for, had a minute-and-a-half stretcher match, lost it, stood up immediately as to say, yeah, this is all fake, and then walked to the back. And, you know, understand the politics now a little better about doing that but but back then we were just like it was just another you know log in the fire and so anyway um he wasn't coming to w he wasn't part of the wcw show coming to greensboro but brian pillman was and we already liked brian pillman a lot we you know we thought he was you know we thought he was really talented and he he would interplay with us and funny and all that so we had the idea okay squeegees brian pillman's coming we need to we need to have like 10 people with squeegees to you know to do the tomahawk chop from from florida state football you know we need to like really greet this guy well none of us were willing to like spend the money to get 10 squeegees you know even if everybody got their own you know like Nobody really wanted to do that. So we did this really stupid thing, but it worked, which was Hitchcock set John Hitchcock to this day owns a um, and back then owns a comic book store called Parts Unknown, the comic book store. And so he, here he is getting out the poster board, drawing squeegees, cutting them out of cardboard. And he's giving and, and so he made, you know, like 40 of them. We gave them to everybody inside. I'm assuming that's why when you were still working for Wade for free. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know because the squeegee buy. was like probably eight ninety nine back yeah, then. Yeah, I don't know that I'd do it now, but yeah, I, but exactly, and the, yeah, yeah. Actually, I would. Yeah, I could use one of my cars, so maybe we could have a dual purpose for it. But yeah, it was, um, you know, and so, um, and so he's cutting these things out. We give them to the fans around us, and we tell them when Brian Pillman comes out, we're going to do this, and we start we demonstrate the tomahawk chop and all that. So Pillman comes out. He has this match. We're doing that. He's laughing. You know, before the match is great. He comes down, um, takes one. Uh, it takes one and takes it to the back. And like a year later, Hitch talked to him, and I got to know Brian pretty well. But Hitch talked to him, and he. And he told Hitch, oh, yeah, I carry that in my briefcase to this day, now, which was great. But then there's another month goes by. And this is the part that I you know, just can't, still can't believe my eyes. Um, and there was a match on the show. Pillman wasn't on the next show. And there was a cage match between Cactus Jack and Sting. And so, um, so they start. And instead of you would think that Sting would come out be the second guy he's he's the good guy he's the bigger star than cactus sure. jack no he comes out he's checking the cage he's doing that stuff cactus jack comes out and he's holding something in his hand and there's a towel over it you know like you know like he's got you know like he's got the um you know from raiders of the lost off he's got the he's got the tomb with the unknown you know he's just got you know the um you know this really valuable thing and he's looking at it like he's worshiping it but there's a towel on top of it and he's just in awe of what he's got and he's walking down and sting you know sting looks at him like what has he got and then like he's a magician and it was this real you know dramatic show business flourish um cactus takes the towel off to reveal a squeegee in his hand and sting looks and he, he does the great, you know, shot take 
And then he starts running from Cactus and starts climbing the cage like, you know, the guy has a machete. You know, he's just like, and we're just in hysterics. And he's selling Sting, the good guy, the number one good guy in WCW, is selling for the evil Cactus Jack because he has a squeegee in his hand. He he's, isn't trying to hit him or anything. He's just like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. And um, we just, <laughs> that was the greatest thing. We were just like, oh, my God. They had so much fun with that. And they, you know, they, and, they that was that was done. You do realize that that was not done for anybody that paid a ticket to go see that show. Yeah. That was done. That was done for the locker room. Yeah, that was done for the locker room, and it was done for <laughs> us. And we were just like, "Oh my god, that is like, you know, that is like awesome." And, and you know, we were like, you know, we were chopping again. I think we still had a few squeegees around, so it was like, but that was um, cardboard squeegees, I should say. But I um, mean, but but that was, you know, that was just like, what is he doing? And then. Oh my God! Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm sure it was a sellout in the in the back. I mean, that was that was awesome. I wonder if if, if Sid was at an autograph show, if anybody asked him to sign his squeegee, if he would. I wonder if he would. If I were him at this point, as long as they're paying their money, I I do exactly. I bet he's been but he's you, been asked. I I, be, I would bet he's been asked. But yeah, I want to try to get him on the podcast to get let him let him have his side of the story. I don't know if he'll come on, but. Uh, uh, Definitely let him say, give his side of the squeegee story. But I'm pretty 90% sure it was like almost exactly how I said it. That's, that's but, uh, a story I've always heard that he yeah. got into like he was kind of he was ragging on the two of them, you know, and, and both of them were, as you said, Mike Graham, you know, Mike Graham came up from his father. It's like, you know, he was tough as nails and 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 Pillman was like considered, you know, the toughest guy on his college football team and University of Cincinnati right. and, and all that and was a tough guy too. And so they're like hearing from this guy, I'm making so much more money than you are, you'll never be anything, all that kind of stuff. And yep. and yeah, but that was the story I heard. But yeah, everything that um no, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, he was healing on them. You know, you guys are, you know, five foot eight, you know, uh, midgets. And, you know, I'm in the big time now. And you guys, you know, never do anything. And they stood up to Sid and basically told him your piece is, you know, crap. And, uh, and, and, you know, like I said, he stormed out and the rest is history. Uh, squeegee history. Um, hey, um, so over the years, um, you've, continued to uh, be a senior columnist, a writer for the pro wrestling torch, but the business has changed so much from when you first, uh, from when you first, well, it changed several times actually yes. from when you first became a fan. Is it, is it hard to keep interest uh, through all the changes knowing that you have to, because you, you write a column? Well, there's times when, um, you know, there's times when I'm tired and I don't feel like watching three hours, all three hours of raw. And I kind of have to push myself through, or, you know, the, these pay-per-views, the WWE pay-per-views are getting longer and longer. And we do, um, we do podcast roundtables after them. We're doing it for years and years after every major pay-per-view on a Sunday night. And I have to get up at like five 30 in the morning to go be a school teacher. So, um, it, it, it can be rough like that but i think this business is i think the history of it and you know you just some of the stories we're telling right here not that they're all the biggest historic stories in the world you know in all of wrestling but there's this colorful history both good and bad that goes with professional wrestling that i'm fascinated by and um and right now it's you know there's always something going on in the business where i want to see what happens next and i want to see you know how everything goes and you look at um you know you look at what the news with this all-in promotion and are they going to be able to establish themselves and get a real television contract and you know where the um you know 
where's the talent going to go? And even today, you know, the news comes out that WWE is signing um, a lot of the um, the the talent in England in the UK to these contracts where they can't be on where they can work for other promotions, but they can't work on the the money making part, the the part that's streaming somewhere, and all the machinations of that. I think is just like you know, just tremendous. And, um, I'm still, and, and so, and I also look at it, like I get to write about everything in the world. You know, I get to write about, um, I get to write about, um, independent contractors and PDs, but I also get to write about, um, scandals and entertainment and funny stuff and great wrestling matches and terrible wrestling shows. And there's just so much to, there's just so much everywhere to do. And there's so much wrestling now and there's so much good wrestling now. It's kind of hard to, it's, it can be a job to keep up with it all, but no, I still have, I still have that. I wonder what's going to happen next. And I want to go to, um, you know, I want to go to Chicago. Or I want to go to um, Waterloo, Iowa, for that Hall of Fame, and I want to go to um, I, I want to go to everything except for I've never been to a WrestleMania because it's it's at the exact wrong time in April for 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 school. But um, you know, someday I'll get there. But I mean, it's um, there's something really cool going on. There's something really cool to learn about, or somebody's going to make me laugh with a story, or someone's going to make me you know, some it's going to make me think about something, or you know, that kind of thing. So I, I get a lot out of it. I'm, I'm really happy to do it. I don't know whether I'd be a fan all this long if I'd have kept up with it or not without the torch, but um, I definitely keep up with with it, you know, knowing that I need to be, you know, and knowing I'm going to do something like this. And even if you'd have told me 25 years ago, I'd be, you know, on, on some show with David Penzer talking about all this, I'd be like, Really? So, um, yeah. The, every I would you know, too. By yeah, the way, I know. I, no, I don't think <laughs> I don't think we were favorites of yours all the time. So, um, our, oh no, no, yeah. not not in that way. Yeah. Not in that way. I just who'd have thought that uh, people would want to listen to a podcast with me interviewing you? Nothing against you. No, 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 uh, no. I, I I take it just like that. And yeah, the the you know we we come through. Wade Keller's been really good about changing technologies, and you know as they they they've come along, like trying to stay ahead of that. But you know. I did 900 lines. I've been on local radio on AM stations and FM stations. You know, and definitely I worked for pizza coupons. They, you know, there, there was no empire here. And, um, you know, and, you know, just to get the word out and also because I enjoyed it. And then, and then, um, you know, my podcast, um, I have the Bruce Mitchell audio show. And the reason it's called the Bruce Mitchell audio show was 14 years ago when we started doing it with the torch with, with Wade, um, Nobody was doing in wrestling was doing a weekly show that they, they weren't called podcast. I had Wade figured out uh, that that show is the longest running weekly podcast of any time, except for there's one more about podcast podcast technology. And so I'm number two. But anyway, just every, you know, we've done apps, we've done, you know, blogs, we've done message boards, we've done, you know, obviously websites still do. And, and still that weekly newsletter, we still do the weekly newsletter in print. People get it in print. I write every week and, and, and more than that. So it's, um, it takes up it's, but it's really rewarding because, you know, I had a great, you know, like I said, I had a great time this weekend and got a lot of little tidbits for, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. So, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still pretty, I'm still into it. No color picture though. No color picture. No one wants a color picture of me for God's sake. So, Hey, real quickly. I know that we live in a totally different world and, and we've had an ongoing discussion on this podcast. So not every week, but about, um, 
PC and, uh, and uh, political correctness and professional wrestling and how that works. I know that um, that Wade has been very outspoken about uh, WWE doing Crown Jewel uh, after all that happened. And um, so I'm just wondering, uh, as somebody who goes way back, who used to laugh at the Ric Flair, you know, um, uh, molesting a, 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 a mannequin dressed as uh as precious or you know all the crazy stuff that that you've been a part of how how is that to you know what are your thoughts on that because we did we live in a different world uh and it's and it's tough sometimes well um i you know I, I was very much with with wade about um the saudi arabia show because i i looked at it like what if a wrestling company had gotten in bed with nazi germany you know and done shows with that like bmw did i mean it was that kind of, you know these are the people that um that there's a lot of evidence that they finance 9-11 there's all it's not just that they killed that journalist i mean it's a it's a you know it's a very nasty um, no, yeah. they they ki- yeah. they've been killing gay people uh, by 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 uh, beheading them for years. Right. So you know, it, and, and it's one thing when a company is, you know, when some when and I didn't like to see that when the Puerto Rican wrestling companies would use Jose Gonzalez who murdered Bruiser Brody, um, and they but they knew he could draw and they were trying to stay in business. I could I, I thought it was wrong, but I at least could understand that. But this was just you know. Billionaire trying to get more money and 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 getting in bed with these people. I just thought I, I really didn't like you know in the beginning, and then it just blew up on them. But the stock price has fallen, and I'm also like, there's good heat. It's not that it needs to be tasteful, but it needs to be the type of heat that draws money that gets people going, and not just screws around with your reputation or makes it harder to get advertisers or um, you know when they do. When they do things like use Roman Reigns as cancer to try to heal, um, you know, Dean Ambrose or something, and, and you know, it, it, today's audience looks at that, and I really think it doesn't help. It doesn't help the excitement of the show. They just go, oh, that's really bad. You know, it's like they blame the promotion. You know, when they have when Charlotte Flair's out there blaming Ric Flair, you know, for the death of his son and her brother on national television and then you know and then you know wwe puts it out that charlotte flair came up with the idea i don't believe that and i think it's like you know you know that it's just this painful thing to put on national television and it doesn't really be one thing if everybody made a million dollars off of it but they don't so um I understand the bad taste angle for or the bad taste that makes money that that I look at and see, okay, that can make you a lot of money. Um, I may not, I may, you know, think, but I still think it's bad taste. But the bad taste because you're jerking people around, I don't like at all. And I think there's more of that now than there was, um, you know, in, in any part of that. And you know, for me, with I'm not one to like use the term PC very much because I think sometimes that's people want to say what they want to say and then the people that speak out about it, they don't want them to say it. It, It's so you've got, if you say something that you know is or you should know is offensive, you should be ready for the comeback. You should be ready for somebody to say, hey, I'm like, you know, hey, I'm one of those people and I don't like what you said. And I think that back and forth, that's, you know, you have every right to say it. It's just you, you shouldn't 
you shouldn't complain when there's a consequence. You know, you know, if I walk up in my school and go blah, 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 and they go, you're fired. I have no, I can still say blah, 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 blah. It's just, I have, I have no right to a job, no right to say in that without consequence. So that's, that's where I am with that stuff. Call me crazy, but I was, I, I think it's much more offensive, uh, that they use Roman Reigns' cancer in the storyline, or or uh, Reed Flair's death, than than going to Saudi Arabia. I call me crazy. I I mean I'm, uh, I'm not. I mean we all have our we all hopefully have an educated opinion, but we all have our different opinions, and it's worth talking about. I don't, I don't think that's crazy. I, you know I I you know I understand that there's other sides to things, and and you know and what offends one person doesn't offend everybody, and. And Wade's very outspoken about that. Does that put you guys in a, in an awkward position ever? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I've you know, I've written my share of things that have got have pissed people off and caused controversy. And I always looked at it like, could I back up what I'm saying? Could I could I make a case for it? And but yeah, um, you know that there are people that um that very much will say we appreciate you know we appreciate you you know we always try to like we don't run from things. It's like, if there's something that's a real issue, we don't make up, we, we shouldn't be making up things that, you know, minor things and blowing them up into, into big issues. That's, that's, we're doing, I don't think we do that. And I know I don't, and I don't think Wade does, but I mean, it's, you know, we shouldn't be doing that, but we don't run from stuff like that. And so we get people that go, thank you for speaking up. And then we get people going, um, um, you know, I'm gonna drop my subscription or I'll never subscribe to you. And that's part of, you know, that's, kind of part of what we do and um i always look at it like i never wanted to be in the wrestling business i'm not i've never looked for a job or anything like that i don't think anybody ever wanted to hire me either so don't get don't get it wrong but um no i understand but yeah I, I, but my job is to like tell the truth like get as close to the truth as i can good and bad and and hopefully you know as years go by people go yeah and i think you can look at I think even now that may not have been such a wise move, you know, and I don't like it because of what I said. I mean, it just seems like consorting with the enemy just seems anti-American to me, but it, um, you know, they were, you know, the idea was there's a lot of money at stake. It's going to make our year. We're going to do it. And the, the stock price dropped from 92 to 61 or whatever it is, you know, lately. So, you know, what they gained so far, and all that money, um, that huge amount of money that that Saudi Arabia is giving them, um, or you know, paying them to do all this, and they may have lost in the stock price. So um, I don't know that it was all that wise a thing. Usually, I'm like, okay, what's the business? But um, sometimes stuff is just, you know, just not right. And this one to me was not right. I respect everybody's uh, position. And like you said, you know, if people don't like something that you guys write, they could not subscribe. Absolutely. Hey, to me, that's the beauty of the, of of living in America. You know, uh, you know, if you don't like what somebody says, uh, they have the right to say it and you have the right to say, I don't want to support you anymore. Absolutely. Uh, I always think, I always try to be like this. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a kayfabe name or anything like that. I write Bruce Mitchell and you know, if you're upset, I stand behind it. If I screwed up and got it wrong, I want to fix it. And I do from time to time, but um, I stand behind, you know, I, I try to like back up my opinion, you know, and then, but I stand behind what, it, what it is I've written and, and, and that's part of it. And yeah, you, you take the consequences. Sometimes, 
you know, sometimes the consequences aren't so much fun. But um, I, I know that there's been times when people have been really mad at me. I thought I did a good job here. They should they you know they should be mad at me because I did a good job. Like I got it right. That's what they're mad about. Not that I got it wrong. So that's that's how I look at it. Sure. Hey, before we let you go, and I appreciate your time, I'd be uh, uh, irresponsible if I didn't ask if you had any scoops. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. And I talked about this. This sounds like a Gene Oakland plug, but I talked about this on the hotline. I talked about this um, on Bruce Mitchell Audio Show last night. So VIP members um, can go. You can go to pwtorch.com slash go VIP. Um, but Very I talked good. in depth about this. But the um, Cody Rhodes, um, Young Bucks um, move to have their own promotion. They are in, you know, they have some serious people in major talks with the, t- the, the, the networks that could make it work, not just any network. And I know you, you know, I've always like when I hear um, television networks or I'm trying to get a television deal and all the various people that are doing it until they've got the deal. They don't have the deal. But um, this right. um, seems like it's it's getting it, this seems like um, the possibilities are definitely there for it to come together. And it's going to be a real, you know, if I'm anybody, if I'm a wrestler, that's um, a, a major name and my contract is coming up in the next few months. Um, I want to find, I want to know what's happening with them because even if you're someone that's going to stay in WWE and your contract's coming up, you, you're going to want to use the, um, you're going to want to use that, that leverage. leverage. So um, yeah, that, sure. that would be the thing I would, I would say that's probably the, you know, the, the closest watch thing just where, and again, where all the talent, you know, where's the talent going to end up and WWE has a ton of talent and they're, they're, you know, all the, their whole history is stopping things like this before it gets started. But um, this has already really started. And that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the ability of those guys to make a good living without WWE, a really good living has kind of opened up some um, avenues for all the wrestlers. And so we'll see. And this is with the Khan family, correct? Yes. yes the Khan family Jaguars and, um, and talking to, um, not the smaller networks, you know, the, the networks that, you know, TNA is on pop and all that. I mean, impact is on pop and all that stuff is the type of network that if they, if things work, they can deliver a big audience and also deliver, you know, you, you want a network contract now that pays, that pays the wrestling promotion. And, um, sure. and so that's all that's in play right now. Any any truth to the rumors about Jr. and or Chris Jericho being involved? Yeah, glad you brought that up. My my, I, I talked to a lot of people this weekend, and and this is what I thought even before that. Um, you could you know if you remember when Hulk Hogan would be out of WWF, um, and even before he signed with WCW, and and then after he was through with WCW. You would hear about him um, about to sign with some company, about to sign with TNA or that company in, right. in, in Florida. And then right before everything was just about to go down, Vincent Man would snatch him back up. And I think those two are um, – and I'm just – I saw – I didn't talk to him about this at all, but I did see Jim Ross this weekend. He was at this and um, at the at the Russell Cave. And those two are very smart, canny operators. And, and I wonder if they're not um, – if they haven't said some things on their own podcast, you know, the news comes off of these podcasts, to um, – 
get get them their names out as part of this, whether they're really part of this or not, so that Vince McMahon will go. Um, I want to get my I want to get these acts that I've had for years back under the tent. And so and, sure. and maybe they'll end up, you know, maybe they'll end up in, um, in, in, um, all in, but, um, in that promote, I mean, the elite promotion. So, um, but that's I, with those two, um, the game is afoot with everybody. And those two play the game, um, pretty well. I always say that I have the XWF poster hanging in my office. I'm looking at it right now. And I always say that, uh, we got, more people bought their jobs back with uh with WWE than anybody else now it might it might it might they they might be a record breaking now uh, this company may uh break the record but we got Kurt Hennig's job back Jerry Lawler's yeah. job back Hulk Hogan's yep. job back uh Bobby Heenan Bean Jean uh Roddy Piper and uh uh yeah they fleeced us before we could even show the tape but uh, yeah, exactly. but that's a whole different story for a whole different podcast hey I appreciate Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And uh, tell everybody again where people could go if they want to uh, be a uh, VIP subscriber to Pro Wrestling Torch. Um, you can go to pwtorch.com and we, we have a lot of free podcasts. We have a lot of free um, material and, and, and stuff up there. But we also, I'm running a um, special, I think it's $3.99 right now, but um, go to pwtorch.com slash go VIP and um, it, you get. I, I, you know, you get, I think 70 podcast. I, I do three hours of podcasting a week, three shows a week, plus round tables. Um, Wade Keller does a daily torch audio podcast. And then he of course has his own, um, um, show on podcast one for free. So subscribe to that. He just, his last, um, podcast was an interview with stone cold steve austin so he talks to a lot wow yeah, that's not bad that's impressive that's not bad. yeah so. I, I i you know steve called me about uh, sitting ringside and i, I just told him yeah, i'll try to fit you in in 2019 oh yeah but you got to get bruce mitchell in <laughs> first exactly <laughs> I, I gotta get this guy yeah so um, i got <laughs> hey i got names on the i got names on on the on the uh, bucket list you know we had scott hall on this uh this year check we had uh terry funk on this year check you know there's there's names on there that we get but um some something no, tells know, me I, that uh something tells me and and and, and uh, pardon the pun it's going to be a cold day in hell before i get steve austin on mine so uh, good luck good good on you to wade for uh for being able to pull it so, off T- tell wade to put in a good word for me i did one road trip with steve austin i will do that uh, in WCW, so we would have like one trip to talk about, and then <laughs> would probably be boring after that. Anyway, hey, thanks a lot for the scoop. Thanks a lot. Um, uh, I enjoy our uh, uh, messing with uh, going back and forth on the Twitterverse. Oh, yeah. so, uh, I, I, I look do forward to that. seeing you. I'm at Mitchell PW Torch, and you follow me. That's and, right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We'll have that back and forth. That's that's always that's always cool. That's always yeah. fun. Um, yeah, you you smartened me up on Marco Stunt. Oh yeah, yeah, that was um, yeah. I, I did the wrestling rounds this summer, and yeah, he was the um, he was the independent sensation, and now he's got a broken leg. But um, hopefully yeah. he hopefully he'll get through that. But yeah, I, I mean, it was the guy when you look up and go, wait a minute. I know. Yeah, I mean, every, I've seen and I've seen people like see him for the first time, and it was just like 
this guy looks like a 12 year old boy and can somebody brought him up. And I, and I think my response to you is what's a Marco stunt. Right. I, had I don't no blame idea. you. I don't but, blame you, but yeah, that's, um, he was the, um, but, he was the flavor of the summer, I think. And, 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 um, really saw his career. And it was from, it was from appearing at the, the scenic city invitational in Tennessee, right outside of, it was, um, Knoxville, Tennessee. Was it Knoxville? But anyway, in Tennessee, that's you know th- this this tournament that they bring in a lot of the 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 up and coming indie guys, and and so this was the guy that made his made his move, and and yeah, I mean you remember every you remember the first time you see him for sure because. So, Bo, so Bo James is responsible. No, for him. Bo James was not responsible for him. <laughs> Dylan Hales, I think, was more responsible for him than, than Bo. This wasn't a Bo James uh, deal as much as Bo uh, James is fun and I, funny. So, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I should have figured. All right, hey, thanks a lot. And yes. uh, uh, yes. now you have to go watch Monday Night Raw for three hours. So, and I'm going to watch Monday Night Football and hope my fantasy team pulls it out. So, uh, hey, thank you again, and um, uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks for having me. I had a good time doing this. Hey, if you stuck around to the end, you got a little scoopage at the end of that podcast with uh, the information about the Khan family in Jacksonville. And uh, I could imagine on one hand, on five fingers, counting the uh, the networks that are probably involved in uh, trying to uh, get that promotion. I guess the elite is what they're going to be called if it happens. Uh, on network television so we could have a another major player in the ranks and something will follow in December and into 2019 as sitting ringside continues want to remind you to follow me on Twitter at David Penzer all one word at Penzer ringside is the Twitter handle for the podcast and once again Lots of fun stuff coming up in the coming weeks. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe uh, so you get automatically in your inbox every week's edition of Sitting Ringside. And be sure to leave a review if possible. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you have any input uh, about this or any episode or any future guests, Uh, Hit me up at David Penzer on Twitter. Happy to chat. So until next time, this is David Penzer. I'm still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Do you love college football? Of course you do. And there's no better place for your college football conversation than right here on Rush the Field. I'm Scott Seidenberg, and alongside my co-host, veteran coach, scout, and consultant Chris Landry, we're going to break down the college game from all different aspects. Whether it's breaking news, big-time matchups, or just arguing about the rankings, Chris and I will have it all covered. So join us on Rush the Field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Yeah.